We are doing a whole month of uh, talking about the supernatural. So if everyone can go, right? That's wonderful. Thank you. <clears throat> it's not necessarily a topic that we, uh, we take all the time or just talk about all the time. It's a, a peculiar subject to some degree. If you don't really subscribe to the Christian path or the Christian way of living, then the supernatural might be a weird thing. If you're uh, someone who doesn't even believe in a life after this life, then this is going to be a little bit peculiar. But if you are a Christian, you don't have a choice. You have believed in this. We are following this guy called Christ who we believe <clears throat> has won our lives and has saved us in the next life to come because we will be judged uh, in the final day. So we believe that there is another world, that there is a supernatural world, a different dimension. This month is the month of celebrating death. Who knew that? Anyone know that? Around the world, there are many cultures who actually celebrate the entire month of <clears throat> death or dead people. Not necessarily trying to celebrate destruction, but celebrating people who've actually died. It's a very common thing around the world, and you may know it as a, when it actually reaches its pinnacle by a, a thing that we celebrate here in America called Halloween. And Halloween comes from a word which basically means all hallowed eve. And all hallowed was the saints. It means all those that were holy. And there used to be a day when they would celebrate the holy ones who had died. And that celebration would actually start on the eve before that day. A little bit like we have Christmas Eve, we start Christmas on Christmas Eve. Well, half of you probably start Christmas like three months before, right? It's coming! You start putting your trees up. That's exciting, isn't it? And so <clears throat> there are many cultures around the world that, that celebrate this thing called All Hallowed Day, and they actually celebrate the entire month. It really came from a lot of uh, Christian uh, roots in the medieval times where they used to actually have a month where they would celebrate the saints who had died and they would pray to the saints that the saints would actually help them in this life. And in fact, uh, Catholics, uh, there's many Catholics that still do that. They still they'll have a saint around, on a chain around their neck and they'll pray to a saint to try and help them. Um, I have a problem with that because I don't believe that you should pray to dead people. And I also believe that I don't need to pray to dead people when I've been given the Holy Spirit. So what do I need this dead person for when I got the Holy Spirit, God himself in my life, right? But on that, there was also a way that sometimes people would pray that if some of their relatives were kind of thought to be in purgatory, which is a place where they were neither quite in heaven, but were never quite bad enough to go to hell, they would pray as hard as they could to try and get them out of purgatory to get to, 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 get to heaven. And in this whole month, people started to believe that if you started to pray to or on behalf of dead people, that there also could, dead people had the permission to enter into our lives and to do what they wanted to, which means to bless us or to even wreak havoc. And there was a belief that sometimes some of these dead people would raise from the dead and they would go around at night and they would knock on your door and they would say, trick or treat, am I right? So this is where it all comes from. Most of us probably just thought that uh, trick-or-treat was something that we just made up and it sounds like a lot of fun and it gives us an opportunity as adults to dress up in the costumes we've always wanted to dress up in and get tons of candy and then be excited and just be, just be on a sugar high. No, there's a whole history behind this whole thing of Halloween. 
Now, the reason I'm talking about that is not because I'm trying to spoil the fun. I'm not here to say, you shouldn't do Halloween, you're going to hell. But I do believe that we should understand things. In fact, at the church, we, we do a thing called trunk or treat. Could you see that? You see what we did there? Like, oh, it sounds like it. It's like giving your children candy, but it's not really candy, right? It's like food-based, right? It's like plant-based or something. No, it's candy. It's sweet, but they, go, they know fine well it's not. So, so we do this thing called trunk or treat, and... Um, and, uh, and because we want to encourage the kids to be able to have some fun, there's nothing worse than seeing everyone else having fun, but you can't have fun because you're a Christian, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? So um, uh, we, we want our kids to have fun, but I do believe that we also have to understand where does half the things that we involve ourselves in, where does it come from? We also have to understand that if we are going to understand it, we've got to learn it. Imagine what our children are learning. Our children are just accepting things for what they are, but don't really see that there might be something nefarious behind it. So this morning, what I want to do is, I'm not really trying to talk about Halloween, but I want to jump into the whole point of the supernatural. What's behind the thing? What is behind the situation you're in? What's behind that person that you're interacting with? What's behind that festival that you're being a part of? And, and uh, uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, because Paul really started to hone in on a teaching about the supernatural. And we're going to be reading from chapter 6 and verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all of this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. <clears throat> and pray, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words would be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Now, that's a context of the, the passage that we've just read, but I want to hone in on one particular verse this morning because there's a lot here. And I'm going to switch over to reading from KGV, King James Version, because I think this is a better interpretation or version of this. And it says this in verse 12. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual wickedness in high places. When Paul was writing, he was writing about he was writing to a church in Ephesus where he had been very successful with his ministry and the church had really grown up. But he was writing to them from a prison cell himself. And he was reminding them of what 
was going on in the world and what was going on in their life. And there were a couple of things that he mentioned. The first one was this. He mentioned that they should remember what kingdom they were a part of. They had to remember that they were a part of a kingdom. They were in the kingdom of Christ. They were a whole new world that Christ had redeemed us and that we were a part of a whole new thing, a whole new dimension. And he wanted to them to remember that you're a part of a kingdom and so there's expectations for, for you and from you. And so the second thing he wanted them to understand was this, that they were to remember that they were to choose the right fight to be in. And now he wasn't quoting the beastie boys that you got the right to fight. You got a right to fight, to Yes, thank you. So some of you were born in the 80s and you remember. Okay, right? So he wasn't, he wasn't saying you have a right to fight for the party, right? But you have a right to fight. You've got an obligation to fight, but you've got to choose the right fight that you should be a part of. And if you get, wrong, if you get involved in the wrong fight, you're going to get killed. You're going to die. You're going to be distracted. And so he talks about that we should get into the right fight. And that's why we're looking at this verse. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers. So what I want to do is I want to take the, the, the different terms that are in this verse, okay? And I want to look at each word that he has talked about. Because there is meaning behind every word that he uses. So the first word that he uses is this. He says, we wrestle not against. We wrestle not against. He didn't say, we fight not against. We argue, we disagree, but he says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, which is an interesting term to use because it's talking about hand-to-hand combat. Have you ever wrestled someone before, right? Usually you, usually you lose just because you're out of breath, right? You're like panting like a fat dog. <laughs> I can't do this anymore. It's hand-to-hand combat, right? Today we've got the privilege of, of having so much amazing technology that If we decide we want to fight in the middle of Afghanistan, we get a guy on a computer, get a little plane, put it up in the sky, and it's called a drone, and it goes into another country, and then it does reconnaissance, or it maybe drops bombs. It can do warfare from the sky. We've now got this new amazing technology, but when it comes to the spiritual realm, there is no drone for you. There is nothing that is going to do all the work for you. You are in this battle, hand-to-hand combat. And what you, what you need to know is this, is you don't have to worry whether you'll know where the, where the battle is because it will come to you. As soon as you decide to say, I'm stepping over on Christ's side, I'm in the kingdom of heaven, I'm on this side now, you've just made an enemy of the world. Don't think, don't think the world is looking to accept you and just, just tempt you back. It wants to reject you as well, right? Because you've just picked a side and it's not happy about that. Because there are three spoils that are up for grabs in this world. Here's the first one. The first one is the plans of God. God says this. He said, I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to look after you, great plans for you. God has a plan for you. The enemy also has a plan for you. And it's not to succeed. It's not to prosper. It's to be devastated. It's to end up in death the second thing he is, the second thing that is the spoil of this war is the portrait of God. You are made in the image of God. He wants to destroy you. If he can't destroy you, he wants to destroy you from the inside to the outside. He wants to mess up what you look like. He does not want you pretty. He does not want you strong. He wants you to be devastated, to be messed up from the inside to the outside because you're an image of God. God has got your picture hanging on his mantle shelf and he's looking at it every day and saying, that's my daughter, that's my son. 
But the enemy is looking to mess up your face and mess up your life so that when the father looks at a picture of you and turns around and looks at you and goes, wait a second, you do not look like my plan. I have a plan for your life and your plan, your life is messed up. It doesn't match my plan, right? You are a spoil of this battle. The third thing is the position of God. The position of God. God is God. But the enemy is looking to take over the position of God. Many of us actually think that, um, you've even heard the, the term in Revelation, and it says that there will be an antichrist that will rise up against God to lead us away from God. Sometimes we use the word anti to mean against, but the word anti doesn't mean against. It means in place of. It doesn't mean just to, to, to be against something, but it means to get rid of that and then step in place of it. The enemy is looking to make a God of himself in our lives, and he'll do that through whichever way a God looks like to you. It could be food. It could be your family. It could be your spouse. It could be your need to look gorgeous every day when God says he wants to change you from the inside to the outside and not to be distracted by how you look. Whatever way the enemy has to set himself up as the position of God in your life, he's going to find a way to try and do that. You follow me so far? Everyone say, oh, yeah. And those that don't, just be silent. <clears throat> okay, number two. <clears throat> the second thing. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Flesh and blood. Why does he say flesh and blood here? Well, the fundamental, and I guess the simplest way to look at this would be that humans are not our enemy. Sometimes we can look at scenarios and situations and think that person is my problem. If I can get rid of that person, I will now have an okay life. And to some degree, that is a little bit true. You, don't, you want to gather yourself around good people that are able to pour into your life. You don't want to have people who have got destructive lives to affect and infect your life. Now, we're meant to affect and infect their life, but you don't want to be destroyed by other people. But let me tell you, it's not flesh and blood that are enemies. And I believe that what Paul is saying is here is, do not get distracted of thinking that your boss is your problem. Do not get distracted of thinking that your spouse is your problem or to think that, that your family is just your problem. There's something behind it is what he's saying. In fact, when he uses the word flesh and blood here, this, it means a little bit more and it goes a little bit deeper than that because every time Paul uses the word flesh, he's not talking about other people. He's talking about yourself. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. What is flesh? Flesh is this. It's your own habits and your own traits. In fact, he uses a term a lot called the lusts of the flesh. You probably read that a lot. And do not be taken away by the lusts of the flesh. And it's amazing that your habits, your traits, the things that you choose to do, you can't overcome those things because it seems like you're just, you're just taken down by those habits that you keep doing over and over and over. Maybe it's drunkenness. Maybe it's pornography. Maybe it's laziness. Maybe it's workaholism. Whatever it is, that's the lusts of your flesh. It's a need to be in control and to be comforted. And the Bible says that that is not where our wrestle is. I remember a, a wise old man that I spoke to years ago, and I remember asking him, and I, I said, Johnny, why is it that, you know, you're such a great man of God, and everyone thinks that, wow, you're the holiest man that we've ever known, but really, I know you must have sins in your life just as much as I do. My question to you is this, what do you do about that sin? How do you tackle sin in your life as a leader? And he said, you're, you're, ta you're asking the wrong question. Sin is not your problem, temptation is. Sin is not your problem because if you could tackle sin, then you wouldn't need the cross of Christ. 
But we do need the cross of Christ because we can't tackle sin in our life. That's why we submit ourselves to the cross of Christ. You follow me so far? Flesh is not your problem. The second thing he says is this, blood is not your problem either. What is blood? Blood is your DNA. It's your inherited line. It's the thing that you inherited. You ever heard of the, the bloodline? Of, you know, if you're a part of a certain bloodline of a, of a lineage, a bloodline is, is, a, what, is what gives you authority or permission or, 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 or things that are allowed to come into your life. If you're of the bloodline of a certain family, you carry a certain name, you're instantly got that authority of that family because you have that name. Think of a famous name right now, and you've got a famous pop star or movie star. You've got Kanye West, right? And he's a famous guy. All he needs to do is have a child, and that child is now instantly famous because that child comes from that bloodline. But the same is true, that the same as a, a blessing can come from a bloodline, a curse comes from a bloodline too. That whatever your parents did or whatever your grandparents did or your great-grandparents did, you are subject to whatever choices they made. You're subject to their blessings. You're subject to their curses. In Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, in fact, it says this, this same thing four different times in the Old Testament. It says that if you bow down to idols, then the curses go to the third and the fourth generation. Whatever you have set up in your life as a God in your life, remember, the spoils of war is, the, is, the, is the, the plans of God, the portrait of God, and the position of God in your life. And if you have set up a certain God in your life, that curse that is in your life is now going to be passed on to your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. Hello. This is the way it's designed. But what Paul is saying is that you don't break those things. He says, Jesus breaks those things. Through our submission to the cross, Christ breaks those curses. We have to understand this because Jesus came to be human on our behalf for a reason. He was fully blood and he was fully flesh so he could break the curse that had taken over us. Now, in Galatians 5.24, it says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. That means that that old stuff is now gone. It can be gone if that part of your life is submitted to him. And the good news is this, you have a new DNA through Jesus Christ. And when he did, when he was in the upper room before he went to the cross, he said to his disciples, he said, listen, take this wine and take this bread and every time you eat it, I want you to remember what I am doing in my body and in my blood. I am breaking the curse of the enemy in your life and in your bloodline. I'm breaking those habits in your life. If you will submit yourself to the cross, remember this stuff. And they would take it to remind themselves that even though some of that stuff is not fully manifest in our life yet, we're constantly subjecting ourselves back to the cross and saying, Jesus, you said that curse was broken in me. Listen, if your parents were poor and they acted poor and they talked poor and they thought poor, you're following the same habits. That needs to be broken inside of you. It needs to be, listen, it needs to be crucified. It needs to be put to the death. Don't just, don't just decide that that's the way my family was and I have no other way. Don't decide that you're proud of that stuff and I want to be just like my family. No, through the cross of Christ, if you're a Christian, you say, that's done. That was dealt on the cross. I'm a new creation in Christ. Hello. You're a new creation in Christ. Someone, you're a new creation in Christ. 
Stop listening to that voice that tells you that you're just going to be as poor as your parents, that you're just as dumb as they are, that you can't do what they can do, that you can't, you, you can't break out of what they've done. No, you're a new creation in Christ, and every day you subject yourself back to the blood and to the body of Christ. Amen. Isn't this good news? He said, you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. Be done with that. But then he moves on. He says this, but you do wrestle against this. You wrestle against principalities and powers. You wrestle against principalities and powers. What's that? A principality is this. It's a chief person, the first or the top. The one that is at the top of a whole bunch of other stuff. And either that's uh, a person that is at the top of other people, other minions, or other, not like, not, not those things, but on top of uh, demonic things or on top of, uh, you know, domains, whatever it is. That's someone who has power amongst other entities, right? You follow me so far? A chief person, the first to top. A power is this. It's a lawful privileged force, a lawful privileged force. The best way I think I can describe this is, is to think of it in the sense of uh, Donald Trump and the U.S. Or a president, the, the office of the president, right? You may not like the person, excuse me, you may not like the person of Donald Trump, but you must respect the office of the president, right? The problem I find is this, is that sometimes we think we can separate those two things. We think that we can maybe insult the person that holds the office, thinking that we're not actually insulting the actual office. You can't separate those two things. Do you know why? Because if that person decides they don't like you, all they have to do is use their power against you. Where do they get their power? By the position that they're in by the office that they're in. That's why I think that we have got to be careful how we talk about other people and other entities that have greater power than ourselves. Hello. And I think as Christians, we need to guard our mouths about who we decide we have the right to rebuke. You think you have the right to rebuke the president or the mayor. No, you don't. Because you're not greater than that person. You're not greater, especially, than that position. Let me put it in this way. I watched, uh, has anyone watched the uh, um, <laughs> Shark Tank? You watch Shark Tank? You know the, 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 the whole show. So where, the way it goes is you have like a, a line of very, very rich people and they're all sitting in chairs and then a person will come in and they'll stand on a, on a carpet and they'll, they'll pitch their business to these, uh, to these business sharks, to these, these people who have a lot of money. And what they'll do is they'll say, I have a business where, you know, I make, you know, these special tablets, okay? I make these wonderful tablets and I think this is going to change the world and I, for $200,000, I would like to give you 20% of my business to be a part of my business. I need the money to do this and they do that. And so what they'll do is they'll argue against each other and they'll fight over, you know, who, who, who's actually going to get the deal on this whole thing. And so there was this young lady who had emigrated from Korea uh, by herself at 15 years old and she had built this app that was quite an amazing app and um, she was asking for a certain amount of money to, to, uh, for them to come in on the business of this app. And, uh, and she said, well, you know, at the end of the day, what I really want is I just want your contacts. I want your, your friendships and your connections. And Mark Cuban was a bit incensed by this. And he said, wait a second, you're coming here. You don't actually want us as business partners. You don't even need our money. You just want our connections. You don't even care about us. And so there was a new guy that was on the show called Richard Branson. You know, he owns the, the, um, the airline Virgin Airs and he owns all these different uh, businesses, about 200 
150 businesses he owns, and uh, they're all kind of uh, labeled under his brand called Virgin. And uh, he's a billionaire. And uh, he said, no, no, that's not why she's come here. She's not, she's not coming here to use us and abuse us. And, and Mark's like, yes, she has come here. She doesn't care. You know what? You have no right to stand there. You, someone, else has a, a, someone else who has worked hard to try and be here deserves to be in your spot. And you have no right to stand there. And Richard Branson said, I think you're being rude right now. So they started arguing back and forward. So Richard Branson, he picks up his glass of water and he says, if you don't stop, I'm throwing this on you. Right? And he goes, well, that, you're, you're, you're talking rubbish. So he throws the glass of water on him. And you could see everyone go, <gasps> right? And just when that happened is when something struck me. It takes a billionaire to put a millionaire in his place. You think you're going to tell someone else who has more authority than you what's up. Well, I'm going to tell you what's up, right? You don't know squat. That person has got more power than you. They've got more influence than you. They may be entirely wrong, but you're messing with the power behind the principality. You see what I'm saying? You have to understand that power is a lawful, privileged force. It may not be right, it may not be good, but it's lawful and it's privileged and it's a force. And I believe that as Christians, we need to be mindful of who do we sit under. Whose sword protects us? A while ago, I remember someone who had left our church and, and they had complained about you know, the way Mark had done certain things in the church. And I remember saying this to them. I said this, listen, you may not like the way that Pastor Mark swings his sword because it cuts you, but you have to remember that's the same sword that protects you. And if you walk away from being underneath that sword, you're now by yourself, which is fine by me. If you think God's told you to do it, go ahead and do it. I'm not here to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I'm here to tell you what I know is the right way to live and the wrong way to live. Now you go ask God what you should do. Sometimes Pastor Mark's sword has cut me and it's painful. I'm not moving away from that sword because that's the sword that God has put me under because that's the same sword that protects me against these principalities and powers that I can't handle in my life. Hello! We have to understand the battle we're in and the position that we should be in as well. Number four, he says, and against, and we fight against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Sometimes this can be confusing because sometimes it seems in the Bible, it's like, well, Jesus is the winner. He went on the cross and everything's awesome, right? But sometimes it's like you read the Bible and you're like, wait, is the devil the one that's winning here? What, what is going on here? There are three different entities in play when you're reading the Bible. Who rules the world? Well, we know this. Number one, God is the creator of the world. And that's why it says in, in Psalms that the earth is the Lord and everything in it belongs to him. It belongs to him. He's the owner of it. But he did give a stewardship to Adam and Eve, to us as humans. And so Adam and Eve made a deal with the shark tank with, uh, uh, with, with the devil. And the devil became the corrupter of this world. So the, the reason why the enemy still has power in our lives or has power in the, in the world is simply because he's got permission to come in and mess your life up. He's got permission in your thoughts. Whatever way you've decided to embrace uh, sinful thinking or sinful living, he has permission to walk in there and go, that belongs to me right there. He has, he has permission to walk into the world because he has is, he is, he is been given that permission from Adam and Eve. And we do the same thing. We keep repeating the process and giving him permission in our lives. He is the corrupter of this world. He is the corrupter of our lives. 
The third thing is this we know, is that Jesus is the conqueror of the world. Now, there is a, there's a two-stage two process when it comes to conquering. We know this, that in, according to Revelation, that, that, that the enemy, the devil, will be the first winner in the whole scheme of things, right? But the good news is that Christ will be the final winner. Now, it started at the cross, and it will end with the final day. When will that be? Not really sure. He hasn't given me an update through email, right? But we know this, that he will be the final winner with everything. In the meantime, we'll be tested. In the meantime, we have a job to try and win other people to Christ, to help them find, how, find their way of walking with Christ too. What do they want to rule? I'll tell you what they want to rule. Each one of them want to rule your work. They want to rule your life. They want to rule the arts. They want to rule business. They want to rule politics. And they want to rule your children's lives. They want to rule what your children absorb into their life, which is why I believe that we have to be mindful of the type of things that we get ourselves involved with and what are we allow our children to get involved with. And again, I'm not here to be the, the fun guy, the, the guy who kills all fun by saying, you shouldn't be a part of Halloween. You decide what you should do. As for me and my household, I don't let my children dress up with all that junk. They can dress up looking like me if they want, right? They can, they can dress up looking like something fun, and we do some fun stuff here we call like a false festival, but I'm not going to let them get involved in mimicking what the enemy has meant for good and, other, and what the enemy has meant for bad in other people's lives. You follow me so far? You make a decision on how you, uh, you deal with that, but I do know that he is trying to take over every domain in our lives. So this is the way I look at things. There is a dimension that we call the supernatural, and it's like a thin layer of sheet. It's just there. It's on the other side. If you could reach your hand through and touch it, then you would know what it was all about. It's a bit like, uh, that, uh, a bit like that, that Netflix show, what's it called? Stranger Things, right? It's a really weird thing. And you can, it's like you're, you're reaching through and touching something. It's a different dimension. Sometimes it's difficult for us to understand as Christians, as even Jesus had to speak in very simple parable ways in order for us to understand it and conceive what he was talking about. But the thing is with that dimension is that it's not separated by time. Sometimes this is something that we are confused with, that something that may have happened in your past as a child or in a past marriage or something we tell ourselves that time will heal and the further I can get away from that stuff, the more I'll be separated from it. But you have to understand this, in the spirit, it's not dictated by time. It's not dictated by a separation from that. In fact, Einstein proved that time is relative. And so to some degree, you can actually be in a, a certain scenario. You could be in a, in a certain situation where you're interacting with something where they say something that makes you feel an emotion inside and something inside of you reacts. You go into anger or protection mode. But what is happening is not that this person has incensed you or hurt you so much. How do you know that? Because your anger or your reaction is actually disproportionate to what they actually said. It just maybe said something that said something like, you know, you're, you're, you're stupid, right? But inside you're like, Argh! and it's like your anger is disproportionate to what they said. What they've done is they've reminded you of something that happened in the past. What you've actually connected yourself to is something that's in the spirit. It's connected in your spirit. You just stepped over into a different dimension and something has stirred up in your heart. 
Now, it may not be something that you did. It can be something that has been deposited in your spirit because of what's happened in generations before. And you just inherited it through your habits, through your thought systems, through, your, through, through the way that you live your life. You follow me so far? I realize this is a peculiar way to look at it. I'm not trying to turn this into something weird. But I believe that we have to understand this because you're not battling that person. You're battling what's behind that sheet, that very thin layer. You're battling what's behind that, that, that dimension that has power and authority to come into your life and stir you up, to stir up past emotions, to stir up past guilt, to stir up past sin, to stir up past events that happened in your life. So how should we respond? Paul goes on, he, tell, he says this. He says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. Five different times he says the word prayer. What do you think he's getting at? <laughs> pray, pray. Five different times after saying all of this stuff, he says pray. Why? Because your eyes are never more open than when they are closed in prayer. Your eyes become much more open to what's going on and what's behind this situation. What's behind that conversation? What's behind that, that, that event that happened? Sometimes we can get so sideswiped when something horrible happens. We're like, I can't believe that happened. What happened? I don't know what's going on. And we're confused. You need to take some time. Stand firm with the, with the shoes of peace, Paul said. And stand firm in peace and then say, Father, what's going on? Close your eyes and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You see, the problem is never your issue. It's your response that is your problem. It's your response that is your issue. And if you respond in such a way to fight against a person or to rise up and start arguing and fight it and say, this is not right because this is a race thing or this is a generational thing or this is a sexuality thing, it's none of those things. It's a spiritual thing. Come on, Christians. We got to start paying attention and stopping our mouths from letting out any feelings we have and any emotions we have. Take a step back and say, Father, what do you want me to do? Even if I don't, you don't tell me what's going on, even if I don't understand, I need to know what you want me to do because I'm in your plan and you are in the position of, of, of God in my life and I am the portrait hanging on your mantle shelf. Hello. Make him the Lord of your life. Step back and ask him, what's going on? There was even a time when Jesus, um, Jesus had to uh, interact with this young lad that was, uh, was, was uh, demonically affected. And he spoke to him and he said, release this young boy. And he was freed from this, from, from this demonic activity in his life. And the disciples came over and like, so, so Jesus, how did you do that? Because we all tried doing that and it didn't work. Why, why does it work for you and it didn't work for us? How many times have you ever thought that? And Jesus said, this particular situation comes with prayer and fasting. Why prayer and fasting? Well, I'll tell you so. Because fasting has the ability to disconnect you from the distractions of this world. 
You see, sometimes that wall that stands in front of us is a wall of food. <laughs> Hello, it's called the refrigerator, right? And you're like, oh, candy, cookies, coffee, I want all this stuff. So caffeine and sugar and food is a thing that's distracting you from your sensitivity to the spiritual realm. In the spiritual world, your sensitivity from being able to hear from God, what do you want me to do? Because you're so busy stuffing your body with things that are distracting you. What about Netflix? Netflix becomes your veil between this life and the next world. What about entertainment or self-satisfaction? All that stuff is hiding what's going on behind that veil from your understanding. And Jesus said, this type of stuff only is affected and only understood and it only comes out from these situations when you pray and you fast. Paul just says prayer. I want to recommend that you supersede him by Jesus and follow his advice on prayer and fasting. The last thing he says in this is this. He says, I fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Fearlessly. He says, pray for me that I fearlessly might be able to handle this this situation. He was in chains. Fearless means courage. When a soldier is about to go into battle, he doesn't pray for comfort. He doesn't pray for an easy time. He doesn't pray for safety. He prays for courage to stand his ground, to be strong enough to take on the enemy, to not run away, to not be crouching back and tensing up, trying to run away. I was speaking to my friend this week who is a professional fighter, and he said, it starts before you get into the battleground. That mental game comes, up, comes to pass, and you've got to start getting courage inside of yourself, saying, I can take this guy down. I can get in the boxing ring, and I can take him down. I can overtake the situation. Listen, it starts before you get in the battle to start praying for courage in your life. And many, many Christians, I find, can sometimes get into this army and into this battle and think, I got this. I got this. Come and take me. And they're holding their arms wide open, thinking, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this thing down. Listen, when you go into a battle and think that you're going to be the one who conquers this battle, you're in trouble. The first thing a, a soldier must learn is discipline. Discipline is fundamental to walking in, 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 in step in an army. Discipline is so important because it's not your will, but it's God's will. Not your way, but Yahweh. It's God's way in your life. And so you have to discipline your life so that you don't get taken out. Because if you can't learn to receive orders from the commander, you're going to run into battle at the wrong time in the wrong way, unprotected. And what's worse than that is that those that are around you will become subject to the death that you're now a part of subject to the battle that you're now entering into your your family your children your future generations simply because you weren't disciplined enough to submit yourself to the cross of christ to submit yourself to the words of the commander who says wait don't move or now go Sometimes we feel like we need to run into battle. We need to fix this problem. And I'm going to tell them what to do. You're not going to tell them nothing. You need to wait until God gives you an instruction. Because he is saving you. He is saving the people that are around you. We need to know how to be strong, encourage, and to move at the right time.